you will never be able to go back to just you ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's huge, huge. You are never just your own person ever again. Mm -hmm. Even once your child is grown and you don't have all the responsibilities, you still have that heart connection that will never ever go. Welcome to the podcast, Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I help people convert their grief into growth in their own way and in their own time. This is a podcast where we dive deeply into the stories that make us who we are and show us who we can become. Together, we share real-life experiences of growth through our grief. I can be found at grievingcoach.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss exclusive interviews and some of my own tidbits and insights on grief. Welcome to another episode of Share Your Story. Today I have with me Jillian Bright. Jillian is an author, speaker, event leader, brand and marketing strategist, and mother living in the Italian countryside with her winemaker partner and their son. She explores ideas and writes about how places are deeply connected with the human experience and how this intersects with travel, food and wine, nature, and personal growth. She is the author of the travel memoir, The Trouble with Wings, and is currently writing historical fiction set in the ancient Mediterranean and an exploration of the stories, science, and spirituality behind the human connection to special places. She's also planning several retreats in 2023 in the Italian, where the jungle meets the sea in Costa Rica and the high desert of Northwest Argentina. Keep in touch at Wild, Bright, and Free on Instagram or subscribe to the twice-monthly newsletter on her website, www.jillianbright.com, and that's J-I-L-L-I-A-N. Awesome. Hi, <laughs> hey, Jillian. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. I'm very so, excited to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to have you with us today. And you have some pretty amazing stories. So I'm really happy to dive deep into them with you. I'm excited. I love storytelling. So I'm I'm here for it. Awesome. <laughs> That's why we have the podcast. Share your story. Um, so Mother's Day is right around the corner, and so I'm especially grateful for today's topic, and I love the title that you chose for the episode, On Becoming a Mother and the Grief of Identity Loss. Hmm. That sounds really juicy. <laughs> it's juicy looking back. <laughs> it's not so juicy when you're living it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and people may wonder why I say juicy. Because it's, it may seem like a really odd combination to have for most people, um, which is another reason why I'm excited to explore it further with you. Often when we think about motherhood and becoming a new mom, usually it's met with celebration and congratulations, and everyone's super excited about the new baby. So where does grief come in to all of that? I think... First of all, I'll say for in any major life-changing experience, we tend to reduce it to the most common emotion or the most common experience or, or the one that's easiest to talk about. Um, and so becoming a mother is definitely talked about in context of joy and celebration also because 
if we don't put that angle on it, like it's very difficult to continue the him and race because <laughs> parenting is freaking hard. <laughs> and if we focused on that, uh, it may have a very different impact on future generations, but I think it's really, yeah, exactly. But I think it's really important to acknowledge the entire spectrum of the experience. You can have joy and celebration and grief at the same time. Um, the human experience is not, um, one dimensional ever. Mm -hmm. And so, when you have a major transition, when you have a major identity shift, there is an element of loss and wherever there is loss, there is grief. And everyone I think experiences that very differently. Um, but when we aren't talking about it, when we are just like only talking about, you know, the good stuff, which needs to be talked about, even if you're having a really hard time, or especially if you're having a really hard time, I think it's helpful, but not talking about, um, the loss, uh, the harder pieces of the transition, um, man, I just think we're really doing each other, um, and the moms who are coming after us a, a major disservice. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, I just think it's so, it's, it's just such a big piece of the the, the whole process really. Yeah. How did you come to choose this topic? Um, that's a really good question. My experience becoming a mother was unique in that, um, <laughs> I got pregnant at the end of a year long trip around the world. I was traveling by myself and it was an unexpected pregnancy that happened about three weeks after I got robbed. And so pretty much all of the intellectual property I'd been working on for four or five years just got taken in one fell swoop, like pictures, writing, everything. At that time, I was doing a lot of travel writing. And so it was just like, oh man, a, a major blow to my my career, my sense of well-being, safety, security, all those things. And then right on the heels of that, um, an unplanned pregnancy. And I wanted to keep my son. And so there was a choice in that, but I wasn't ready, like really wasn't ready. I just mm -hmm. knew that I wanted to keep him. And so I was dealing with the, the loss of basically my career, all that intellectual property, so many photos from like 20 countries all around the world, everything that I had written. And so it was it felt like my life just got turned on its head. I had been traveling the world by myself and doing lots of things, living all over and ran a swimsuit company in Costa Rica. I'd done lots of really cool things throughout my twenties. So when this happened in my early thirties, it was something I was on some level ready for and something I wanted. On the other hand, it was not something that I was actively wanting. And so I wasn't fully emotionally prepared for the abruptness of the transition. Not to mention mm -hmm. that once our son was born, I moved first to Argentina for six months and then Italy after that. So it was like new family, new career, new life. There was so much that was unrecognizable about my life from one year to the next that it was like just like being suspended in like this dark place where I couldn't feel or like get my feet under me. Like it was, there was a lot of 
pieces of loss that I couldn't even put together at the time because, you know, early phases of parenthood, you are just like, you don't have time for anything and your brain is so sleep deprived. And you're like, just trying to adjust to being a parent, let alone like a, a new country, a new language, a new culture, like I said, new family, all these other different new pieces of my life. Um, so there was, yeah, I think that's, that's why I chose it was because grief played a major part for me. And I didn't realize it was grief until probably two years in when I was like, Oh man, I think this is postpartum depression. Like I'm crying every day. I feel so numbed out. I feel very ambiguous about parenting and like my son, I know I love him, but there was also like this, like I said, this numbness and it took a while, um, to get to the point where I recognize, Oh, this is grief that I'm experiencing. This is processing a tremendous amount of loss and, um, major life altering things happening all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I will not be able to, um, how would I say? I won't be able to separate the experience of becoming a mother with all the loss that I experienced at the same time, which is fine. I don't need it to be any different. Um, especially now that I understand a little bit better. My son is five now. So to give you some context, okay. but, uh, yeah, the, it was, I could, I could not talk about my experience of becoming a mother without talking about how hard the transition was Yeah, because of grief. <laughs> mm-hmm. And not very many people, when we think about motherhood and especially for first time moms, mm-hmm. people don't talk about that transitional period or right. the loss of independence, the loss of your identity Oof. as like as me now I'm 24 seven, this little person's mm-hmm. person. Yeah. And it's, it's funny too. There's, there's so many things that come with that identity. Even if you don't have the extreme circumstances that accompany this, this major initiation into a new life phase, you are still all of a sudden so much changes. And we talk a lot about the physical changes. We talk a lot about, I think, we're getting better as a society about talking about the emotional and mental changes, but there's also these, these pieces that like, you will never be able to go back to who you were, because even if God forbid something happened to your child, you still have this growing piece of your heart that is occupied by this new life. So even if that wasn't a part of your life ever again, anymore, you still have that piece of your heart that will be forever occupied by that new person you will never be able to separate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and we, we joke around about this as moms, you know, even when your kid's with a babysitter or they're at grandma and grandpa's for the weekend, you still think about them. You still kind of worry about them, even when they're not physically present, you mm-hmm. will never be able to go back to just you ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's huge, huge. You are never just your own person ever again. Mm -hmm. Even once your child is grown and you don't have all the responsibilities, you still have that heart connection that will never, ever go away. Yeah. And biologically too, um, your cells become part of the baby cells. Your baby Mm. cells become part of your cells. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. even biologically, so cool. there's like, yeah, there's that connection that will never, ever 
be separate. Nope. Exactly. And so there, I think when in, in general, anytime when there's one of those big things where it's like a clear before and an after, nothing will ever be the same again. There is a sense of loss, whether it's like you were saying earlier, your independence, your freedom, um, uh, more financial freedom, you know, all these things that accompany, whether you're, you're single or you're in a, a relationship, you do have a, a much higher level of freedom than once you, you know, become a parent. And there's, there's some loss over that. You don't, especially like I have a a really big attachment to my freedom. In fact, I think I really, really, really identified in um, a big part of my identity was my independence and my sense of freedom. And so when I no longer had that, that was a big piece of my grief. Like, oh my God, I am now attached to a tiny little person who needs me or it will die. <laughs> like that's, whoa, going from we, I'm traveling the world by myself whenever I want to open-ended ticket, hopping around to no, no, now you've got this person. Your budget is severely limited. Like he's dependent on me. I'm dependent on my partner. It's just like, it creates this, um, major shuffle in the hierarchy, I think of the modern woman, Mm -hmm. like so many of us because have become so independent and we're proud of that. Like rightly so we should be proud of that. We've worked hard to become the independent women that we are. And then all of a sudden someone is super dependent on you and you are more dependent on other people. And I don't think we're prepared for that asking for help, identifying our needs. Um, it's hard accepting help, even if like, yep. yeah, <laughs> even when it is offered. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. think, I think a part of that too, is as a society, we think, oh, moms can do everything. Moms are the ones mm-hmm. that are the nurses when the kids are sick, when the, anybody in the family is sick, the meals still have mm-hmm. to be made. The house still has to be cleaned. There still has to be food on the table hmm life can't stop and no often moms are the hub yeah of everything yeah and family even when they're working even when yep like in, in so many instances yeah it's it's I guess there could be ways to make that transition more gradual or to prepare people for that like transition into parenthood. But I, I just think that no matter what we do to prepare, if we're not incorporating some piece of like helping integrate the person who you were before, who you can never be again with the person who you are now as a mom and the person you are continuing to like evolve into as you continue to live your life, you know, without that, like, without that recognition, and then without that integration, it's, I don't know, clunky. You're missing something. It's, it just doesn't feel quite right. It's hard to explain, but yeah, that's how it feels to me. I was, as you were trying to explain it, I was thinking clunky too. And yeah. It's like, okay, good. Er, 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 er. Yeah. And it just doesn't flow as smoothly. Mm-hmm. And I think it, something that's really important to mention too, is this is this is not like a dynamic work. This is not like active 
um, work. Like, oh, now I'm a, I'm a mom. I have a newborn. I have to go find the things that like, I like now and integrate that with the person that I used to be like ready. Let's go. No, (laughs) No. No. it's like really giving yourself patience, time, grace, and allowing these things to just happen naturally. And to have these check-ins with yourself and just, you know, have grace with yourself. (laughs) I'll say that as many times as I have to, because I need to listen to my own words. Um, I think that's just so important. It's, it's just something that if we allow it to, it can happen mostly naturally. If if we're open to it. And if we have good support, I think that's another like really Mm -hmm. big piece of it. It's very difficult to, it's difficult to grieve on your own period. Yeah. So difficult. We're not meant to do these things by ourselves. We're we're human. Yeah. I, I think grief is meant to be shared. Yeah. Like regardless of how strong you are or how strong you feel, we're humans mm-hmm. just like a baby is not meant to be on its own we're not meant yeah. to be on our own either right we're meant to be connected and absolutely each other. and i i think that's actually really interesting you mentioned no matter how strong you are i would even say that especially if you're someone who feels very strong because if you're someone who feels very strong if you have either a lot of um drive or ambition, or you, you're able to accomplish a lot in, in your external world, or if you are really internally strong, I think these transitions can hit us even harder and like necessitate even more support on the outside because we're so used to being able to do things on our own Mm -hmm. and it can, yeah, make that even more difficult when you don't have anyone to share the experience with or support you while you're going through a hard time and I or think tell that, you, Hey, yeah. <laughs> you need to ask for help or you yeah. need to let me help you. <laughs> I think that's a very good point um, that you bring up that sometimes the people who seem the strongest, either externally or internally are the ones that are at most risk. Yeah. Because of that independent that strong independence which is not a bad thing no yeah and it's it it can make it very hard to show weaknesses and everybody has weaknesses we're human that's Mm -hmm. part of yeah what humanity is um yeah and like you said accepting help when we need it yeah I think this ties really interestingly into the whole concept of identity loss. Like when we identify a particular trait with our identity and it becomes so infused or like enmeshed in who we are, like take independence, for example, when we lose that, it creates this even more difficult, like, you know, like you just can't like everything, like you slam on the brakes. It feels like a train crash. It feels like all the flow and momentum in your life has just been like, stopped and you're just in this state of nothingness because that piece of you is gone this piece of you that you so deeply identified with that you worked hard on that you're proud of and then it's gone well then what do you do you know and I think that's 
the most challenging thing about identity loss in general is that it requires you to kind of just sit with it. And it's, it's not like when you lose a person that you love, or when you lose like something else that you have an attachment to, you've lost a piece of yourself and that's normal. It's a, you know, totally natural part of living, but I don't think that there's a whole lot of support really in our society that's set up for this kind of transition, Mm -hmm. I guess. I agree. And I think one of the main reasons is it's not often identified as a loss or as grief, like because it's not often identified as loss. People don't say, oh, I need grief support because I've just experienced a loss. Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't even like connect the fact that what I was experiencing was grief until probably two years into it, a year and a half into it. Mm -hmm. It just this is this whole, like before we um, hit record, we were talking about the naming and claving of a certain feeling. And I think this is where this really comes in is saying, okay, we need to build vocabulary around this. We need to build certain, I hate to say awareness, but like talk about this more. Yes. Mm-hmm. The celebration and the joy that is there, but so is the loss. Yeah. And if we can't name that and claim that it just goes on like being a part of the experience, but unacknowledged and just carried through rather than like released, integrated. And then, I don't know, allowing you to possibly support someone else who's going through that in the future. Mm-hmm. Yes. There is a lot of power in being able to name and claim what you're going through. Yeah, because without so that, we don't, it's like a, I know something's out there, but I can't really touch it. I can't really grasp it. So there's no way I can work on it. But if we can name it and claim it, oh, that's what I'm dealing with. Now I know where to go for resources, or I can at least do a Google search on grief or motherhood or whatever it is that we're working through. Now we at least have somewhere to start. Yes. And speaking of somewhere to start, um, my, my personal experience was when I understood it, when I bright, when I bright, when I brought my mind, like the wonderful tool that your mind, your brain can be into the heart space of like the feeling I was so lost in the feeling that I couldn't even think about or identify or name and claim all these things that we're talking about. Once I was able to, I started learning a lot about neuroscience and how you can use like both sides of your brain and the upper and lower parts of your brain and and like use your feelings and use your mind and have it. I'm not a neuroscientist, but it basically, when you start doing these cross-functioning pieces of your brain, these processes that are directly related, like emotional and um, rational, you start building incredible integration powers and strengthening your ability to cope and be more resilient in the face of future crisis. You are literally training your brain to deal better with grief the next time around. So it doesn't no matter, it does not matter what you are grieving. If you are able to show up and do the work in a way that is healthy and right for you, you are helping yourself to be able to deal with another circumstance that will be challenging. So one of the things that makes grief interesting, um, we were talking about how the resilience and how our brains 
can work together like mm -hmm. both parts of our brains and our heart and our emotions and our mind can all work together to build resilience and that will help us the next time grief comes mm -hmm. um and it's important to do that in our own way in a way that feels yeah. healthy to us yeah and this is this is something that i'm this is fun because jenny and i've talked a few times before uh, recording this podcast and one of the first things that we really connected on was how unique and individual each person's grieving process is it doesn't need to be um oh what did i say something about we had been talking about oh how in in society right now we tend to say that like oh this person who is really important to me has passed away and that is a valid reason to grieve but if someone that i love didn't die i that loss is not comparable and it's not enough to call it grieving um mm -hmm. And that's not true. Or like we have identified the seven stages of grief. And so then we want to think it's a linear process to go through these seven stages. And it's like, well, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work that way. You know? Yeah. Like, grief is linear. <laughs> no, it's not linear. That's crazy. Um, and I also think it can be very unique, not just to the person, but to the individual experiences as well. Like you might experience grief in one way in this particular situation. And a few years later, or even, you know, a few months later, who knows, experience a different process of grief in a very different way, even though it's, it's still you experiencing grief, you know? So it's Absolutely. like, I think once we give ourselves again, the grace to experience it as it is, um, we kind of free ourselves from that kind of mind trap of thinking that it needs to be done in a certain way, mm -hmm. which kind of keeps us back from the whole process anyways. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that I hear most often is how should I be grieving or what should I be doing? Mm. And I have a love, no, I don't, I don't love it. <laughs> I really don't like that <laughs> phrase. I was going to say I have a love-hate re relationship with that phrase. I don't. <laughs> There's not it's much just love a hate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because grief is individual. Um, yeah. It's, it's unique. It's individual from person to person. Mm -hmm. um, and like you were saying, it's, it's unique from experience to experience. Yeah. Within that same person. And even, yeah. I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm going to guess that your grief when you first became a mother looks a lot different from the grief you feel now of becoming Absolutely. a mother. Absolutely. Like, this is, this is something I wrote about, um, both in my, a little bit in my book, although the book ends before my son is born, but I was also a guest in a really beautiful anthology called the rising sisterhood, where we each wrote about a particular challenge in our life and how we overcame it. Um, I think it's the first book actually in that anthology. And I picked motherhood. And at the time, like I said, I just thought it was postpartum depression. And so that's what I was talking about. I had such an ambiguous feeling. It was so, Oh man, there were many times when I regretted my choice to become a parent, um, because it was so freaking hard, um, not just the parenting, but dealing with all those major life changes all at the same time. Yeah. Um, 
but then, you know, fast forward a few years to where I am more comfortable in the small town in Italy where we live. Um, I feel much more comfortable with my partner's family. I have at least made some acquaintances here. Like my son is a little bit older and yes, there are still times when I miss the freedom or the financial independence or certain things. And I think I'll always miss that a little bit until, Mm -hmm. I don't know, until that piece changes too. But I don't think anything will be as intense as when my son was like nine months to 18 months. It was just just like, oh my God. (laughs) Like when the sleep deprivation is really hitting you, when they're starting to be more mobile and it wasn't just like the newborn that he, my son was a super chill newborn. So it was just like, cool, just feed him and he can sleep on me and things don't really change that much. But then when he got a little bit older, he needed more from me in a different way. Like he didn't just need my presence. He needed more interaction and more things from me that I was just like, I was lost at that point. I was lost and I had, um, limited support. I didn't have community. I had my partner and his family and they're wonderful, but I didn't have friends and a strong community. So it was challenging in a lot of ways. It was still very lonely, um, which everything is harder in isolation. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, but yeah, I think as, as that process goes on, you either make peace or you change these pieces that were really hard, or they just naturally, start to flow again. Um, there was definitely work involved for me too, but I think time, time. And again, having grace with myself, I'm probably going to have to repeat that like every five minutes throughout the interview. No, I, I just think those are really big pieces of it. Just accepting the process. You cannot change something that you don't accept first. And if you're deeply unhappy with something, I mean, obviously with loss, you're not going to be able to get back what you lost, Mm -hmm. but you can accept it and move through it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Your life will be different, but you can not find the silver lining in like that toxic positivity Pollyanna way, but like really find the, I think this is a big piece about being human. Once we find the meaning in an experience, we tend to move through that difficult experience with more ease. Mm -hmm. Little by little. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes there is no meaning. Like in some situations, you can't find meaning in it. But yeah, you can change your perspective on how you look at it. You don't yeah. always have to be the victim. This happened to me. I can't do anything about it. You can choose. This happened to me and it was really crappy. Do I want to stay in this place of crappiness or make the most and the best out of what I have now and move forward with it? Yeah. 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 I think one of the things that's been really helpful for me, I'm a pretty sensitive, emotional person by nature. And it's still hard for me to sit with very strong, uncomfortable feelings like loneliness, sadness. Um, A lot of the emotions that accompany grief 
and yet without you know wallowing in them it's just so important to be there for a second and be like okay this is what I'm feeling I'm going to give myself a minute to feel this and then I'm going to take baby steps to not or release it or like integrate or whatever you know whatever is is necessary for you mm-hmm. um Another thing I'll mention this, another thing that was really helpful to me when, oh, you know, triggered this in my mind when you said, when people ask you, what should I do to process or what's the best way to do this? I really hate the word should. (laughs) However, I think people know the answer to that question if they listen to themselves, but they, a lot of times want to be told what to do. So when you get in touch with your sense of authority, with your own body, mind, heart, like your different authoritative sensors and your sensors centers, excuse me, in your being, and you listen and you not only hear what is coming through, but you actually do it, <laughs> which is really difficult. Yes. <laughs> um, that's what you should be doing. Like, I remember so many times hearing like, you need to move, you need to dance, you need to move your body, do whatever it takes. And I just wanted to sit and be, and that's not helpful. Like maybe I did need to rest. You know, I had been like traveling around the world, like not like breakneck speed, but I hit 20 countries in a year. That's not bad. Um, I needed to slow down until I didn't, then I needed to move again. Mm -hmm. Like there's all these heavy emotions. There's like this energy that just kind of sits in your body. And if you start to move, you help it move out. Yes. Um, and there's so many different ways to do that. Um, which only, you know, you can identify the when and the how and all those sorts of things. But I think that can be a really powerful component of moving through grief is moving your body, especially when you're in like like it, we're tying this into motherhood, of course. So when you're in the house with your kid and you're not really your, your baby and you're not really doing a whole lot, um, that isolation or the changes, all these things can just get so overwhelming. But as soon as you go out, you take the baby for a walk or you go have a coffee or do whatever you do, even if you don't talk to another human, the activity of going out of the house and moving your body can change so much. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much power in that if we just do it. I'm definitely speaking, I'm preaching to myself right now because I, I still need to, like, <laughs> it's so easy for me to just be like, no, I'm not getting up. I'm not going anywhere. I just don't, I don't like, I don't even want to feel better right now. <laughs> but once I do, yeah, yeah, feels so much better. I like to use the analogy of when you're sick, like in your bed, can't move sick. Mm-hmm. When you're that sick, feeling being in bed, is the right place for you at that time yeah because you need the rest you need to mm-hmm. slow way down to be able yeah. to recuperate and heal but then as your body starts to heal the bed is not so comfortable anymore you've been there too long yeah. you're just oh i i gotta get out of bed i just need to get you moving. get a little stir crazy yeah. yeah and that's the same with our grief sometimes it's not true for everybody, but sometimes there is that period right after a loss that's, ugh, I, I just want to cocoon yeah. and hole up and because I can't focus on anything, I don't have resources mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally, physically, yeah. I can't. And that's okay. And then as you start to 
recognize, heal, incorporate your grief, you start to get itchy. Oh, I got to do something with this. Yeah. And so that's when it's time. Your body is telling you, you like your authoritative sensors centers are telling you. <laughs> you both did it. <laughs> well, I think I think both I think both words work for it. Um, I do. So I it's okay. Right. Um, our like it. our own authority tells us, all right, you're ready to start healing even more. You're ready to take the next steps. Go, go do it. Yeah. And this could be like a whole nother spinoff of something like we, we are just, I think so many of us, especially women, less and less so hopefully, and especially in, you know, North America, Western Europe, um, we are so conditioned to listen to an external authority and deny our own internal authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it is what it is. But the more we listen to our own internal authority and act on that, that's where we build that super important trust muscle. And so when some crazy, seemingly outrageous idea comes into our head and it's like, you know, that's what you need to do. It makes it so much easier to trust that. Like, honestly, that's how things came into being with my son. Like I would not, I like, nope, I didn't even want to become a parent, like did not. But when it happened, I had this very, very clear sensation that this was my baby and this was my next adventure. Um, and I had, I guess I'd been through enough in my twenties to where I had done a lot of work on shedding that, hmm, overplaced value on external authority. It's not that there is no value in it. I think we just overvalue it um, Mm -hmm. at the expense of our own internal authority. And I think I had done a lot of work to build up, you know, the value of internal authority that I was able to listen to that because I knew when I don't listen to that inner authority, it's not the best move for me. (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) it has really gnarly consequences. (laughs) Um, So I knew, I knew. Like it didn't make sense at all. Um, but I knew that that was, here it was, this is it. This is not an expected path, but this is the path that I'm going to walk down. And so to be honest, even through all of that grief, through all of the identity loss, through all of the isolation, difficulty, all the things, when things were at their worst, I was able to go back to that moment and be like, no, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I did make this choice. This was a very conscious choice to listen to that inner guidance. I know that this was the right choice, even if it is beyond hard right now, even though I could not comprehend how difficult it would be um, for years. But I knew, I knew even in moments when I regretted it, I knew, um, even when I freaked out and said, I wish I had never done this. I wish I, I wish all these things I wish. I don't know. As soon as I could calm down and get back to that moment, which, you know, this could, this is very different than a lot of other um, examples of grief is that a lot of these things are completely out of your control. You don't have a choice. However, in circumstances like these, like mine, where you had a choice, you made a decision, even if you weren't fully aware of the consequences, I think going back to that moment of choice is incredibly empowering. And like, taking it back to like listening to that inner authority, you 
it may take you through a really hard period. You know, listening to your intuition is not like rainbows and unicorns and crystals, right? It'll F you up, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it, man, it's so beautiful as a process, as like being present as a human, the, the spectrum of emotions and experiences that you get to have when you trust that inner authority is incredible. Like, I really feel like I'm only 39, but I feel like I have been able to live an extraordinary life and have experiences that many people will never have living in lots of different countries and kinds of people that I've met all these things because I listen to that inner authority Mm -hmm. just to, yeah, I think it's just so important to just really be present for the whole of the experience. It's not easy, right? but it's incredibly beautiful. And I, as you're talking about listening to your inner authority and remembering our, the part about the love-hate relationship with the shoulds, that's the (laughs) one should that I love is listening to your inner authority. That's a should that you can honor. Yeah. Liably, consistently, dependably. All the others forget about. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And that's hard. It's a practice. Like, Mm -hmm takes a long time to get to that for, for most of us, it takes a really long time to get to the point where you really believe in the power of that should, and not all of the other ones. Well, it's one reason that I think it's hard to get to that place is from birth to however long we're, we need the guidance of others. Mm -hmm. We don't know that the stove is hot. And unless somebody else tells us first, or we put our hand on the stove and feel that it's hot. Yes. (laughs) And Um, we learn the hard way. (laughs) Right. So for our physical survival, even we need those external voices telling us this is a Mm -hmm. good choice. This is a happy choice. This is a sad choice. You can choose which one you want, but you can't choose the consequences. Yeah, exactly. I forget who the quote is, but like, you're free to make your choices, but you're not free from the consequences. (laughs) Yeah. So to have all of that training in listening to others' rules and guidelines and people who have more information than us about rules and consequences, to then switch to who is this person saying? Who am, what is my authority saying? And to like flip that around and put the external authorities in the background and bring the internal authority into the foreground. Yeah. I think this is another really interesting piece of parenting, especially in the time that we're at when there is more of a movement towards that inner authority. I think there's this really cool place. I don't know when exactly it is. Maybe it's different for everybody. When we go from teaching our kids, like to listen to you because you are the authority when they're really, really little, obviously when they're at that point to teaching them like the both and of the authority, like teaching Mm -hmm. them how to listen to their inner voice and how to check it against the external authority. Even if that external authority is you, um, in a respectful way, 
in a compassionate way. I think that's really cool. I think that is such a cool gift to give our kids. Like, I'm not saying that I'm able to fully do that. It's very <laughs> challenging, like so challenging, especially like, I just, sometimes I just want my kid to freaking listen to me and like, get ready for bed. Just yes. listen, get ready for bed. <laughs> just do what I tell you. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. Get in bed. Um, yes. yes. And you know, okay. At five, there's certain value in that, but as they get older, gosh, how cool to teach them the both and mm-hmm. my oldest is 16 even at 16 it's it's not often easy to <laughs> allow them to experience and teach <laughs> the both end <laughs> well this is this is another cool thing like I'm I'm such a I've gotten so into neuroscience I'm such a big nerd but like the human brain isn't even like fully developed until 25, 30. So when we expect a kid to all of a sudden be an adult and make responsible decisions and like think ahead and do all these things at age 18, like it's like asking a five-year-old to, I don't know, write a science paper on, I don't know, some sort of really advanced subject. I'm not going to be able to give a good one right now, but it's like our expectations are just a little bit beyond what they're capable of. And so I think just setting the foundation for these skills so, so they get to practice it as they get older and they don't have you maybe in the house. I don't know. I don't have any answers. I've got good questions. I don't have <laughs> any answers to them though. It starts with good questions. I have some cool what ifs. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like to do. I don't want to be an expert in anything. I don't want to have the answers. I just want to ask really cool questions. If I can do that, especially as a writer. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Such a good gift. Whether it's in parenting, whether it's in grief, whether it's in your own authority, asking those good yeah. questions and developing that skill. Yeah. Can go such Man, a long I think way. that is this is I love where this conversation is going. I think it's just such a cool thing too, because there this whole component of critical thinking is not something that like maybe it used to be something that was really common. Like people were good at critically thinking and it's gone away in the last 20, 30 years. I don't know, but it seems like more and more critical thinking skills are abysmal. And so being able to develop those skills for ourselves, ask really cool questions, stop seeking, you know, answers. There are certain situations where seeking answers outside of yourself are absolutely appropriate. And (laughs) that is never going to take the place of being able to ask yourself really important questions. Um, I think that's, you know, something that we learn as parents and something that would be really cool gifts to give our kids and something that's helpful, you know, anytime we're going through our own major life transition, just asking hard questions and really thinking about like what different answers might mean. Yeah. That's a skill that I'm developing um, as I work with my coaches, my support people, myself. Um, And often one question leads to another. Yeah. And so as we, yes, when we allow ourselves to go to a place of curiosity. Yeah. Instead of judgment or expectation or comparison. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Like the way that's, it's just when you start 
start moving into a place of curiosity, it just expands all the possibilities and everything that maybe felt like hard or like concrete or impenetrable or like contracting or anything like around you, all of a sudden cracks start opening up and you get curious about something. It doesn't have to mean anything, but all of a sudden there's direction again, there's Mm -hmm. possibility again, there's expansion. And I think that's man, there's, that is really powerful, really powerful. Yes. I think I wonder, like, I've never really thought about the skills that it takes to start asking yourself like big questions, but that'd be fun to look into. Um, as so what I know, for my, I know for myself, it starts with smaller questions. It starts with asking mm-hmm. the surface level questions. What do I think about this? How am I feeling about this? And then once you have an answer to that, oh. why? And then you repeat the repeat like in in grade school I was taught to repeat the answer or repeat the question in the answer. So huh. as I try to go deeper in my questions, I repeat the answer in my in my next question. Why do I feel this way? What does feeling that this way mean for me what what does it tell about my perspective my belief system Hmm. my mindset that's a really that's actually that's funny like in in, uh, when you're doing any kind of writing and you're trying maybe not to lead someone to a certain conclusion but you're trying to really make a strong storyline or a strong line for someone to follow really easily that's actually a, a writing technique that you use to like you end a chapter on this and you start a next one using certain words that you ended on. It's super actually really common in copywriting when you need someone to like click to a certain page and you want that strong connection. Like the button that was on the page before you use part of that copy and like the header or the opening line or something, because your brain has this, this, this thing where when you start to connect the pieces like that, this, the synapses get stronger and you are able to follow the line of thinking even better. And like, I guess, get to a deeper point of, um, what am I trying to say? Like, uh, maybe either either self-awareness in the, in the, in the way that we're going with the questioning or just awareness in general, you're able to just follow it so much better when there's all those connecting pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Another technique that I use, it doesn't necessarily help me go deep, but I just, splatter the page with whatever I'm thinking Hmm. it's like a kind of like a brain map or an organizational map um that you may have done when you were in grade school or whatever when you have like a central topic and then like the lines like a web chart the lines going Hmm. everywhere um sometimes it's organized sometimes not sometimes it's just a splatter of whatever comes out like a stream of conscious Mm -hmm. writing um, both sense. are valuable because mm-hmm. the stream of conscious, it just like, if your brain is so full of clutter or topics or feelings or whatever is going on in your brain, um, there's not really much room for processing. So when I yeah. throw it all out and like empty my whole bucket on the table, then it's out of here, out of my mind. And it's, out in the open so then I can sort through stuff 
oh, this is connected I, to this and then build the connections and organize. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, even without even thinking about it, that's something that I do all the time in my writing as well. It's very hard to sit down and just like start writing intentionally something that's going to like stick around and be like in the blog or the book or um, whatever you're going to publish. You do a brain dump first. Mm-hmm. And just get it out there and then you see what happens. Someone, oh man, I wish I could remember which writer, sorry. Someone said that like your first draft is always like dumping sand into the sandbox. You have to dump the sand into the sandbox before you can build a sandcastle. Like first you got to get it out there and then you can make something of it. Um, And I think it's just so natural for us, especially in our like more modern world to want to go straight to that, like understanding straight Mm -hmm. to the building, straight to like having meaning or like having it be something instead of like sticking with the process, like the process, I want to like start a hashtag or a movement or something that's like glorify the process. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. It's just, it's, it just doesn't doesn't get the credit that it should the process it's not sexy it's not fun I mean I guess there are ways to make it sexy and fun but most of the time not it's not always. it's no <laughs> it's dirty it's diapers it is. messes all over the yeah. house it's <laughs> it's ugly no, crying I don't want to go to bed <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's saying and doing things that you look back and you're like oh no like who am I mm-hmm having very different reactions than what you would like to while you get to the point where the things make more sense. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this has been such an amazing conversation. Um, And I'm seeing that our time is just about up. Um so many good insights on motherhood on grief on learning about ourselves and becoming our own authorities and um, cherishing the process oh so much goodness I know this was a good one it was I'm so happy to have been able to hop on with you and chat and record it yeah um for our listeners, again, tell us where you can, where they can connect with you. Definitely on my website, jillianbright.com. Uh, you can, you can follow along on Instagram. I am very spotty on there. I do check my messages, but don't publish very often. So if, if uh, social is your thing, you can catch me there too at wild, bright and free. But, um, through my website, you can connect best with me where I have my email. You can reach out, contact me directly by any of my books. Um, everything is all there. Read more, whatever your flavor is. I'm working on, uh, I'm working on an audio series right now on hope. That'll be interesting to see how it takes shape. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, (laughs) that's it. That's my world and how to get in touch. Awesome. So much. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to our conversation before we hop off the call today? Um, yeah, just, you know, if there are any parents who are listening to this and are experiencing that very numb 
empty, weird, grieving, like suspended sense of life in the time right after you become a parent. Like this is very normal. Um, you're, it's not normal to just be celebrating and joyful all the time. Like that definitely has a, an important piece of parenting, but don't feel like you're alone. Many of us go through, in fact, all of us. And I think the more that, like I said, at the beginning, the more we can talk about it, even like talking with anybody that you love and trust, or whether that's a coach or a friend or whatever, um, these things are very normal and we, we need to talk about them, acknowledge them, process them. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that's the big one. (laughs) The, the rainbows are the, not the anomaly, but they're not the norm. The rain is the norm. Yeah, absolutely. For a long time, longer than I thought it would be. Definitely longer than I thought it would be. But um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's important to recognize that there, with anything new, with any new transition, there is, there is loss and it's okay to acknowledge that it's okay to grieve that. And it's more than okay to do it in, in your way and at your speed mm-hmm. and just honor yourself and be there through the funky process of it all. <laughs> Yes, because it is a funky process. No matter how strong a week or how many times you've done it, it's it's still a funky process. Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jillian, for sharing your unique perspective and insights with us. This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you. It's been another amazing conversation here on Share Your Story, exploring humanity one heart at a time. Thank you listeners for tuning in and receiving these stories. If you appreciated this episode, remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on special subscription-only content. If you are struggling with grief and would like to make it more manageable, schedule a call through my website, grievingcoach.com, and I will give you one tool that you can implement today. Until next time, remember that all of our experiences make us who we are and that we can turn grief into growth. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters. So share your story.